0: This episode is sponsored by Reroll Dice. Reroll Dice is a tabletop dice brand that offers dice made with recycled materials. If you think about it, dice should be needing less new plastic to make. There's already so much plastic out there in our environment. So my brother and I decided to make Reroll Dice so that we could actually start reducing and removing waste with our hobby. Each of our dice sets are represented by a character to reflect the sort of materials that are used for the set. Our newest character, Redavisius, represents two dice sets that are made with wasted plastic from a dice manufacturing facility. Each purchase comes with a Redavisius character card so you can learn a little bit more about this double-sided character. Our dice sets contain every die you'll need for playing classic tabletop games like Dungeons & Dragons. So if you're looking to play D&D, and need some dice and you also want to reduce waste, please go to rrdice.com and check out our new Redivisius dice sets. Again, that's rrdice.com. Today we're gonna talk about procedurally generated content. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 37th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zacchavelli underscore. We also have an open community Discord. I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. The Discord is a great community uh, made up of people who are trying to better themselves as game developers. We have everything from beginning to expert level developers. And it's a really cool place to share ideas and information. And I'd really encourage you to go check it out. It's also where we do the monthly game jam. Every month we host a game jam. And people from all over the community submit their games to be played that are made within the month. July's monthly game jam is just about to wrap up. So by the time you're hearing this, um, you may be a couple days away. I think next week. There'll be submissions ready to play, so yeah, go check that out and rate the games. The theme for the Game Jam, in case you were interested, was You Are What You Eat. So yeah, should have some pretty cool games coming from that. With the intro out of the way, let's go over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners and the community members... And this prompt is usually some form of challenge that is intended to get you to maybe get a little practice in on a specific subject relative to the show. Usually relative to the show. We actually are going to have a special Game Dev Challenge for this episode. But we do have to go back and announce the winner for the episode 36 Game Dev Challenge. The prompt for the episode 36 Game Dev Challenge was... Make a particle system and record a short video or gif of it in action. Include a little text describing what it would be used for. If you'll remember, last episode was uh, about particle systems and all the cool and fancy things you can do with them, and this game dev challenge didn't disappoint. We had interstellar warp portals, we had coffee makers, twinkling stars and explosions but there can be only one winner and the winner of the episode 36 game dev challenge is remster and i think remster deserved to win purely on the amount of time that they put into it um remster's post says hi guys here's my particle effect for the episode 36 challenge it's an armor pickup i used unreal and creta took me about 10 hours to make And yeah, I really appreciate Remster's uh, craftsmanship, taking 10 hours to make a single particle system. Like I said, normal submissions for the Game Dev Challenge, I I intend for people to spend maybe 15, 30 minutes, Um, so Remster really dedicated themselves to this, (laughs) and so yeah, I think they definitely deserve the win on the effort alone, but... It wasn't just the effort it actually came up with a really good particle system again it's one of those visual things that's hard to explain on the podcast but I'll do my best the particle system is for an armor pickup and it's a glowing shield and this really cool like I don't even know how to describe it it's almost like a pin needle um, with like a big sphere at one end and then it shoots up into like a needle um, and the Shield, the glowing shield, is like kind of jumbling around inside the sphere. But it's on a pitch black background, and it does a great job of using sort of some luminescent like smoky effects and kind of fading light it's a great mix of these uh it's a great color palette of blues go from like a really sharp and bright cyan blue to almost like a deep bluish purple and uh yeah it's just nice to look at so congrats to remster for the episode 36 game dev challenge win Episode 37 is going to have kind of a special game dev challenge, and we actually have done this before. It's the return of everyone's favorite Zacchavelli, you dummy. <laughs> Zacchavelli, you dummy is kind of a uh, periodically returning special challenge where it allows you to get any of your disagreements out with me. Uh, it allows you to post and rant about them. And yeah, I guess the submission is the disagreement. Now, of course, the better submissions, you're going to back it up with facts or evidence or just a good argument or something like that. But yeah, I picture a submission. I think the submissions were last time we did this. People said, like, in episode, they identified the episode, basically. They said, like, in episode 12, you said, um, I remember one, can't remember the exact episode number, but I remember someone said, Facebook is actually a great place to find game dev tutorials. And, like, there's this whole hidden world of game dev information on facebook which yeah is something i never considered before and i think i've even said the contrary on the show so yeah that was a really good post and that's kind of what i'm looking for um maybe you disagree with a point that i made and you have some thoughts so yeah for episode 37 game dev challenge we're going to do zachavelli you dummy um i think another thing we did last time that was kind of fun is every post started with zachavelli you (laughs) dummy that way it gets you kind of in the right um mindset or voice to make the post and I'd actually like to see some maybe this is just a dream of mine I'd like to see some artistic submissions maybe this time Uh, one specifically I thought of was you know how in the tile based pixel art primer episode I said don't mix tile sizes don't have a 16 by 16 and a 32 by 32 or scale them weird so that the pixels themselves are different sizes well if you can pull that off and have like two drastically different pixel sizes on the same picture and it looks good, then (laughs) that's all the evidence you need. You just post that picture and caption it, Zachary, you dummy. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think that would, that's the, getting my vote for sure. So yeah, if you have a good idea for a game dev challenge submission for episode thirty-seven, Zacchavelli, you dummy, just go on to the community Discord. It'll be right under the game dev challenge channel. With the game dev challenge out of the way, let's move on to the body of the episode. Today's topic is procedural content generation. And procedural content generation is a method by which you generate content using some sort of algorithm so that you don't have to make the content by hand. This is a hotly requested topic and I think it's for good reason. I think procedural generation is what's called a force multiplier, at least what I call a force multiplier. All I mean by that is that One person can do the work of many by employing this method. As you know, I'm a fan of the one-person army uh, style of game dev, and I think this topic is very on-brand for the show because it's a method or technique that helps you do that kind of one-person army game dev style better. But with all that being said, it's definitely not something that you want to always use, and it definitely has some cons that need to be carefully thought about. Furthermore, you can use the tool for the right situation, but if done improperly, it can be worse for your game. So I think we're gonna split today's episode up into two parts. First, we're gonna talk about the pros and cons of procedural generation and go over some use cases. And then secondly, I wanna talk about how to actually execute Uh, implementing the tool from like a design philosophy standpoint. And more specifically, I want to mention a few traps that I think devs fall into that lead to procedural content generation actually making worse content for their games. Oh, and just uh, for feature reference, I'll probably abbreviate procedural content generation as PCG for like the rest of the episode. So yeah, if you hear me say PCG, I just mean procedural content generation. So anyways, let's start with the pros. So as I kind of previously mentioned, one pro of PCG is that it's a force multiplier. And it allows you to make way more stuff than you could personally handcraft. And really this is just a matter of logistics. If you needed 1,000 levels and you're just one person, it's going to take you forever to make all 1,000 levels by hand. But if you design a level generator, you can make infinite levels pretty quickly, uh, comparative to making them by hand. Another pro is that PCG might make stuff that sheds um, some light on things you never really considered. Because PCG is kind of guided by randomness and chaos, um, it can almost, like, cancel out some of your biases or your preconceived notions of what makes good content because it might chaotically come up with something that you didn't consider. Let's say you made an armor generator that generated the look of an armor set for a character. You might discover aesthetics put together by the generator that you didn't consider. Like, when you were putting it together, you might have said, well... Here's a cloth armor set, Um, here's a couple like cloth templates, and here's some leather templates, and here's some metal templates. And then you just had a generator kind of mix and match all the templates together, keeping them grouped in their perspective materials. But maybe you just gave it a small chance of having mixed materials and threw in a little randomness into your generation. Well, the generator might come up with a metal and cloth armor set that looks really awesome. And that might be something that you never considered before, but now you know that it looks awesome, and it might change the whole aesthetic of your game. This is because you might say, okay, all the people in this army are going to use this metal and cloth style armor because it looks so good and the aesthetic is perfect for that army's lore remember that games are highly a visual medium and aesthetics really matter for getting across all sorts of things everything from emotions to gameplay elements and so coming to the conclusion that cloth and metal looks really good and really aesthetically pleasing might change your entire game and you may have never noticed unless you did uh the PCG for the armor sets. Whenever I do PCG for a game, it always comes up with something interesting that I hadn't considered before. Mostly in the prototype phase, as you move along with the project, you'll kind of dial in the constraints and the bounding, and we'll talk about that later. But in the prototype phase, it's good to have a little bit of chaos in there because the PCG will Probably come up with a lot of bad stuff, but it might come up with something that's really interesting and unique. Speaking of uniqueness, let's talk about another pro, and that is the uniqueness of the player experience. When you do PCG, you are opening the door to tons of replayability and situations that are unique to each player. And that's because PCG lends itself to the idea that it could be a different experience every time. It can be really cool for a player to experience something unique and tell their friends like, hey, I made this strange and cool set of circumstances, like that happened to me the other night, and the other person might say like, whoa, I've never seen that before. And that's really interesting and unique and cool, and that's a feature that's just can't be replicated with handcrafted content. That's because handcrafted content is made once and it's made usually for everyone. And that's not to say that handcrafted is worse, it's just that PCG allows for unique stuff like that to happen. So now that we've mentioned a few of the pros, let's go over to the cons. The cons mostly come from that idea in business where things can be cheap, fast, and quality, but you only get to pick two of those things. So when comparing handcrafted to PCG, there's really only one of those variables that's locked in. And that's that PCG will always be faster than handcrafting levels, if you ignore the setup time, of course. So that means that you only get to pick one of the other two features. It can either be cheap or quality. And maybe the business metaphor isn't the greatest because I don't think it's actually a hard binary decision, but I do think that it kind of highlights the ideas of what the cons of PCG are. Let's talk about cheap first. Most of the time, PCG is not cheap to implement. And by this, I mean a lot of time and money can go towards getting a good PCG system. Now, of course, if you're making something yourself, as just an indie dev, it probably won't take any money if you can program it itself. You could do it totally for free. I think everyone could probably do it for free. But the time and effort required should definitely be weighed um, against the two methods, and that's for everyone. That's not just people who have money uh, involved. Making a PCG system is not always an easy thing to do, and it's often full of having to come up with clever solutions to fix paradoxes and edge cases. For example, let's consider a dungeon generator. You might make a dungeon generator that builds a dungeon out of rooms that are connected via doors. Most doors are unlocked, but you want to introduce a puzzle-like system so you can lock a few doors uh, and put keys around so that the person has to the player has to walk around the dungeon, find the keys, and unlock the doors to progress. Well that sounds simple enough, but once you dig in, you might realize that there's that's quite a difficult thing um, to make sure that the keys appear in the dungeon in the right order for the right doors to be unlocked. It's particularly hard when the doors have dependencies on other doors um, being unlocked so that you can get to the right keys at the right time. The opposite situation would also be something that had to be considered. Too many unlocked doors and the key puzzle system is negated because you can just get around through already unlocked doors. So you have to design an algorithm that hits that sweet spot just so your game can be functional, never mind engaging. So yeah, that's a really simple example that could be quite difficult And the more in-depth your game is, the more difficult it gets to procedurally generate content for it. Let's talk about that other con in quality. And what I'm not saying is that PCG games automatically have worse quality than handcrafted content. But I do think it's easier to fall into traps that lead to worse quality content using PCG. A real life uh, example of this might be No Man's Sky. And I know No Man's Sky has come a long way. Uh, since it released so this criticism may no longer apply but on release I remember there being a lot of accurate criticism about how some of the content let's just take the alien animals for for instance anyways it just felt like a lot of that content was just mixed and matched patchworks of a few creatures It became obvious that it was kind of a Mr. Potato Head situation where you could tell, like, oh, that's the same tail I saw on the other creature, or, oh, that creature looks like the other one from the other planet, just with different eyes. You could tell that all the pieces were coming from the same box. Compare that to a game like Pokemon where each creature is handcrafted and you can see the difference in quality. Now obviously a game with millions of planets, they were never going to be able to handcraft creatures for all those planets. But let's look at a game like Spore, uh, which also uses PCG for planets and creatures. But to me, all the different creatures feel way more complex, unique, and interesting. So I guess my point is that... Although quality can be a con, it's only a con because it's easy to fall into traps that lead into poorer quality. And it can be done with higher quality, it just requires a bit more work, a bit more planning, and thought. And this quality versus effort dilemma is where we start to get into considering what kind of use cases you'd want to use PCG for. So, the first thing I think to consider is if it's worth the effort. Let's go back to our example of the 1,000 level game. In that example, the effort required to make a thousand levels by hand is far greater than the effort it would take to make a level generator that could do the same. Therefore, it'd be better to use a level generator and put your time into making a level generator. But if you only needed five levels, the power of PCG would be lost and the effort would probably be greater than what it's worth. In that case, it's probably quicker to just put all of your effort into making those five levels by hand instead of making a level generator. Loot is another good example of something you can use PCG for. You can see good examples of PCG loot in games like Diablo and Borderlands. Both of these games advertise tons and tons of weapons and armor to pick up, and they only really could have realistically achieved that through PCG. But I do want you to take note that both of these games also make use of handcrafted loot, particularly for more high-end items. I think that's a good example of how to cover the weaknesses of each method, and I think that's something I even talked about in the loot design episode. One more example I wanted to highlight comes from one of my favorite games, Dwarf Fortress. Now, Dwarf Fortress is interesting from a PCG standpoint because it uses PCG for a lot of stuff, but I think the most interesting part is how it generates lore. When you first generate a world in Dwarf Fortress, not only does it gen the land and the sea and the civilizations, but it also simulates them over time. This creates events which serve as lore to the player's world. You can have ancient lost temples. You can have ruins of a civilization destroyed by a titan. An artifact beer mug passed down from generation to generation. And each of these things isn't just like a static thing that has a chance of spawning. These are emergent lore sort of situations that are caused by the PCG and the world being simulated over time. The ruins of that civilization, that was a real civilization destroyed by an in-game titan. That is an event that actually happened and was simulated. You can maybe even find people in the world who were descendants of the people who lived at that civilization. The depth of the simulation is crazy in Dwarf Fortress and it's one of my favorite parts about that game. But anyways, all of that provides for emergent storytelling and gameplay that is unique to the player. I would say Dwarf Fortress's PCG is so good that sometimes I just generate worlds and read the summary of of events for fun. I could spend hours reading about the rise and fall of nations, characters in the world going on adventures, evil supervillains, religious cults, tables and chairs made from a titan's bones... And on and on and on. The game does PCG so well that I think it's as fun as playing the game itself. And I think it's a really cool example of how you can use PCG to give your game a deep narrative and lore without having to write it all yourself. So anyways, now you know the pros and cons of PCG and maybe some example situations you might use it in, if you're having trouble or wondering if you should use it, I would say to remember to ask yourself these two questions. The First thing is if it's needed. If your game relies on lots of levels or lots of unique loot, then the answer to this is yes. But if you're making like a Doom-style FPS with only a few unique guns, then the answer would be no, and it's probably best to just handcraft those yourself. And that's where we get into the second question. Ask yourself if the effort is worth it. Basically, is that situation I just said before. Can you hand-make what you need in less time than making a PCG algorithm to do it for you? If you ask those two questions honestly with yourself, I think most of the time you'll come to the right answer on whether or not you should use PCG in your game. So let's say that you did ask yourself those questions and you determined that yes, you're going to do some PCG. Remember how earlier I said PCG can have some traps that make the quality of the content suffer? I want to talk about what, in my opinion, are some common traps and maybe how to avoid them. So the number one trap in my mind is that total and true randomness is almost never desirable. And I'll explain with an example. Let's say you want to generate a random sword to give as loot to your player. For simplicity, we'll say that all the random generation does is pick a number between 0 and 100 and that's the damage that the sword does. This means that the player is just as likely to get a sword that does 1 damage as a sword that does 99 damage, and this presents a few problems. First off, how are you going to balance a game with such a wide range of possible player damage? Let's say for the game design's sake you want enemies to die in an average of 3 hits. Well, what number are you going to pick for the average enemy life? 300 or 30? Because it's just as likely that the player is going to have a sword with 100 damage as 10 damage. And I think a trap that a lot of newcomers fall into is they say, well, let's just make the enemy have a life of 150 because 50 is the middle number of our two possible damage values and 50 times 3 is 150 and that's 3 hits per enemy. But I think what betrays him here is like the non-intuitive part of statistics. Remember that that random damage value has an equal chance of being any number between 0 and 100. And the edge cases kind of present a big problem. Like your 150 enemy health target... That might work when the player's sword damage is between 40 and 60, Um, but everything outside of that, which is, by the way, more likely, the game starts to break down. For instance, in this example, you have a 10% chance to generate a weapon that will take between 15 and 150 hits to kill the enemy. So it's clear that we need to do some tweaking. So in order to tweak this, we need to fix it by using weight and bounds in our sword generation algorithm. Let's talk about weight first. We said that the sword works against an enemy as intended when the values are somewhere around 40 to 60. So what if we could make it so that the majority of the time the numbers were in this range? We'd also want it to be favored towards 50. So that swords with the damage value of 51, 52, 53 were more common than the higher damage is 58, 59, 60. That just makes swords with higher damage a little bit more desirable and rare. Well, we can weight the randomness with a bell curve to make this happen. And I don't mean to go too deep into statistics here, but a bell curve is a really nice tool to use when combined with random generation and something you definitely should do a quick Google and learn about if you don't know what it is. Basically, though, a bell curve is just a distribution of values where the numbers in the middle are more likely to happen. The height of the average person might be a good example. The average height of a woman is 5 feet 4 inches, and most women in the world will be within 6 inches of that. That's close to the true statistic. I don't know the two true statistic off the top of my head, but it's close to that. Um, the point is that the rare cases where women are taller than 6 feet and shorter than 410, those are less common. There's not an equal distribution amongst all heights. So that's an example of a bell curve, and I think we can definitely use the bell curve for our sword case. We'll want the median value or the middle number to be 50, and we'll use a standard deviation of five. And all that standard deviation means is that 68% of the time, the number picked for the sword is going to be between 45 and 55 or within 1 standard deviation. This also means that 95% of the time it will be within 2 standard deviation which makes it between 40 and 60 95% of the time. And this works nice because there's always that 5% chance that you'll get something really really good or maybe even really really bad and it'll be outside that 40 to 60 number. But being only a 5% chance, that kind of makes it rare, and it kind of works with our loot design principles anyways. But we also might want to work with some hard bounds with our generated swords. For instance, any sword with a damage value less than 37.5 should really just be capped at 37.5, because at that number, the average enemy takes four hits, And anything more than that in the game's design might start to break down. If we had designed the enemy encounters with the idea that three hits was going to be what it takes to kill an enemy, well, our game might not really work that well if the player happened to have a really bad sword where it takes ten hits to kill the enemy. So yeah, that's how you use weight and bounds as constraints for your random number generation and just make sure you're doing this smartly so that it makes sense for your game. And I know we went into like a quick little statistics uh, lesson, but yeah, I think the point is, uh, decide whether or not you actually want true randomness. Most times you probably don't, and if you don't, you can use weight and bounding or capping techniques to fix it. And that's how you avoid the first trap. So we avoided the first trap, make sure all of our swords are at least usable and don't break the game. And we've done such a good job of this that we've actually fallen into the second trap of procedural generation. We've generated a bunch of swords that are more or less the same. Now, granted, a lot of that is because the simplicity of the example I picked. Only randomly generating one number isn't that interesting. Uh, But I think the point still stands that we want to be careful that we're not clamping and constraining our generation so much that what you get is just boring and uninteresting. You can get around this trap by making sure that you're focusing on building a content generator that will generate not just content, but fun, engaging, and interesting content. Remember that you're still in the driver's seat of designing the content, even if the computer is doing the heavy lifting. Let's take a level generator for example. It might be a good idea to design some handcrafted levels first and playtest them. That way you know what kind of things you should be aiming for when generating the level. It's really important to get feedback on the quality and specifically what's wrong with the levels in this example. Like I said, procedural generation is a force multiplier, so if there's any bad patterns in your level, uh, maybe jumps that are too difficult or too easy, and the platform pattern is what led to those jumps, well... The platform pattern is being made by your level generator, which means your level generator is probably going to generate these patterns again. Ideally, you want to identify the situations and patterns that lead to these undesirable jumps and put constraints on the generator so that they don't generate those patterns. So it can be difficult, but you have to try and walk that fine line between constraining things so much that you just have something that's uninteresting but not using any constraints, you're going to have a lot of bad patterns in there. And the last trap I want to talk about is the non-contextual generation. This is where your generator is not taking into account the situation or context it's generating content for. If you're generating a maze for a dungeon and you have a room that's a dead end, it's usually a good idea to put something in that dead end so the player doesn't feel like their time was wasted. The generator should see that, okay, this is a dead end and the player is going to have to backtrack, so let's make it worth their time and put some treasure here. In this example, the level generator is trying to keep the player engaged, and it knows to do that when it's past the context that the level, or the path rather, has resulted in a dead end. When that case is true, it'll know to give the player something to make it worth their while. This can work for other kinds of content generation as well. It's something that I think could have helped No Man's Sky's creature generation problem. What the creatures looked like should have been dependent on what planet they came from. And I'm sure it did to some degree but they didn't really lean into it enough to make a difference to the player, in my opinion. It felt like the creatures from every planet were all being pulled from the same group of parts. Had they grouped the parts per planet, like maybe creatures on a swamp planet have more fins and tentacles, then I think this context would have really helped make the creatures feel like they were unique to the planet they came from and would have made the exploration a lot more interesting. One of the best ways to avoid this trap is to be very specific about the content that your PCG algo is generating. And this actually isn't my tip. This comes from a GDC talk by Dr. Kate Compton. She actually worked on a lot of the procedural generation for the game Spore, uh, which I have listed as one of the good examples of PCG and a game I really, really liked back in the day. But anyways, her GDC talk about PCG is really good, and I would encourage you, if this topic interests you, to go listen to it. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, she illustrates the point of getting specific by saying that she can't make a novel generator, but she can make a trashy urban romance fantasy generator. And when I heard her say that, I thought, wow, that really makes a lot of sense you give context to the generator and you'll end up with a more accurate thing that you're trying to generate. So yeah, those are the three traps that I tend to notice uh, in games with the PCG. I'm sure there's more lurking out there, but I think if you work your way around those three traps, I think you'll be on good footing and at least have the strong foundation of for good PCG for your games. So yeah, let's just quickly recap. Um, Today we talked about procedural content generation or PCG. PCG is a method by which you design an algorithm or some bit of code to generate content for you rather than you making it by hand. Examples of this might be generating a level or some loot. PCG is great because it's a force multiplier. This means that you can get a lot more content made for the relative work that you put in. It also can help leading you to new, interesting content and provides replayability and uniqueness to the players. PCG does have some cons, however. It oftentimes can be difficult and time-consuming to implement, and there are many traps associated with it that lead to poorer quality. The three most common traps are unbound randomness, non-unique generation, and no context generations. Make sure that your randomness is bound and weighted to things that make sense, make sure your generations result in something interesting and unique, and make sure that your generator has context for what it's generating. And the last key thing to remember is that you are still creating the content. The computer is just repeating it on a mass scale, but you still need to make sure that you understand the content well enough to write specific directions on how to make it. Focus on avoiding the traps and make sure that your content generator is designing things just like you would have designed them by hand, and I think you will have a solid procedural content generation method for your games. With that, I'm going to end the episode. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zachavelli underscore. I'm also active pretty much every day on our community Discord. There's an open invite link in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, I'll leave a Patreon link in the show notes. And don't forget about our monthly Game Jam, which should be coming to a close here soon. There'll be games for you to play and rate. And if you want to participate, the August Game Jam theme will be announced on the 1st of August. And yeah, it's a really great opportunity to get a finished project under your belt with that i'm going to sign off i have been zachavelli and i've been using pcg for episodes for months (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking or am i